Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. It's World Cup time. Football World Cup. And I've been so enjoying the games. Such skill, such tension, such excitement. And it's a wonderful time again after four years. Even if you're not a soccer fan, you get sucked into it. And it's just something to do and something to kind of watch and celebrate because it's such a game of skill. However, however, having watched the fans, I've discovered that it's more than excitement or support. It actually is a lot about worship. And there's a lot of worship going on in stadiums. That doesn't mean we don't watch it and we don't enjoy it, but there's a difference. You know there's a need to worship in your life. I was reading about a couple of interesting things that I wanted to mention to you, and if you, if you look at the fans, you'll clearly see that they are worshiping the players. In 1994, a man uh, in Brazil, uh, uh, Nelson Paviotti, he made an unusual pledge. He said that if Brazil won the World Cup, he would dress in Brazil's colors for the rest of his life. And since then, he and his Volkswagen Beetle have been dressed up in the colors of Brazil, and he drives around the streets playing the national anthem. That's how devoted he is to his sport and to the team. Pretty amazing, 20 years. I was reading in the U.S., a guy spent, listen to this, in our money, he spent 500,000 rand and put up 175,000 lights on his house because he's a Seattle Seahawks fan, and he wanted the whole neighborhood to know it. I wonder if they can sleep at night with those lights on. But nonetheless, and I wonder what his family thinks about a half a million rand being spent on lights. But that's the intensity of it. And uh, people say, well, it's not really worship. No, no, there are forms of worship. In 2002, when Real Madrid was playing Barcelona, one of the biggest games in the world, someone, in this, one of the spectators, threw a pig's head at Luis Figo onto the field. And it's one of the ways they like curse you when you're not playing well because the score was nil, nil. Who brings a pig's head to a soccer game? I mean, it's like, oh, I've got a pig's head in my bag. Have you got one? Crazy. And it's, it's really fanaticism, but it is actually worship. The Ghanaian witch doctor was called upon to curse Ronaldo at the 2014 World Cup, and he ended up with an injury they reckon they call on them, the Ghanaian team call on the witch doctors in order to provide for them. It's a form of worship. Now, I was reading Daniel Wan is a professor of sports psychology at uh, Murray State University, and with a whole lot of collaborators, he did a study on this. He says the similarities between sport, fandom, and organized religion are striking. Consider the vocabulary associated with both. With both. Faith, devotion, worship, ritual, dedication, sacrifice, commitment, spirit, prayer, suffering, festival, and celebration. He goes on to say this. He says, various scholars discuss sport in terms of natural religion, humanistic religion, and primitive polytheism, pointing out that spectators worship other human beings, their achievements, and the groups to which they belong. And that sports stadia or stadiums, arenas, resemble cathedrals where followers gather to worship their heroes and pray for their successes. 
Stadiums are basically cathedrals of worship. Diego Maradona, the late Diego Maradona, two years he passed away, football isn't a game, not a sport, it's a religion. And then the great player of all time, Pele, said this, football is like a religion to me. I worship the ball and treat it like a god. Gosh. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to go home and watch the games this afternoon, and I, you can go, do it too. But we need to determine the difference between enjoying, supporting, and worshiping. I want to speak to you today, and I've entitled the message, The Nature and Benefits of True Worship. The Nature and Benefits of True Worship. We will, in a moment, when I've spoken a little bit by way of introduction, look at eight eight uh, things that worship is and isn't, and then we'll look at five simple benefits. There are many more. This could be a series, but I wanted to just condense it into one message. And so today, we, we want to have a look at the nature and the benefits of worship. The theme of worship dominates the Bible from the very beginning, and when God chose Israel, He chose them to be a people who would worship Him. When he chose to build his church, the church was meant to be a group of people that worshipped him. Are you with me? Worship is meant to be a priority, and we were all created to worship. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, as we look at an introduction, and God says, I will be with you, speaking to Moses, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, not you will build houses and buy cars, he says you will worship God on this mountain. That's a sign that you belong to God because of who you worship. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, Peter writing to the church now says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, just like Israel, God's special possession. Why? The word that is in there. That, because you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The goal of salvation is worship. God wants you to know Him and love Him. Isn't that true? And you can say, well, what kind of God wants you to love Him and worship Him? Well, what kind of woman wants you to marry her and love her and worship her? What kind of man? No man says, I'll marry you, but you know, if you treat me like dirt, that's okay as long as we're in the same house. No, we expect to be loved, stroked, and worshipped. Kind of. That's the way we've been made. And worship, in fact, who to worship is, has always been the priority right from the beginning. Who to worship was the issue in the garden. Did God really say? The devil was after worship. And we need to understand that when we obey or honor or reverence anyone, that is worship. If you obey and honor and reverence yourself, you worship yourself. People say, I, I don't come to church. I'm not into this religious stuff. You crazy, happy clappies with your fancy buildings. That kind of pushes away the need for me to worship God because I'm obeying and honoring and reverencing myself. I actually worship me. And then I worship cars or houses or, you know. It, you can have those things. You can go to a soccer game but not worship. In fact, I've been to Spain and uh, been live at a Barcelona game with a couple of the team when we were at a conference, wonderful experience, but it's not worship. Are you with me? And so we need to understand here, the devil wants worship, that is his goal. And he promises you wealth, power, and fame in, in exchange for worship. Interesting that he tempted Jesus with it. 
In Luke chapter 4, it says, The devil led him up a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Who and what to worship is always governed by it is written. Not by what I feel, what I like, what I've discovered. No, it is written who and what and how to worship. And the devil knows that if, if he can give people power, fame, and prestige, they will worship him. And we see that in the world. So let's look at the nature of worship. Number one, I've kind of alluded to it already. Eight things here that we will go through as quick as we can. It is the priority of mankind. It is the priority of mankind. We have been created with a number one priority, and that is to worship God. Now, in a moment, I'll tell you that worship isn't just singing. Okay. Because if that were the truth, then we'd just spend the whole service singing. And those of you that leave early, you don't love the Lord. No, it's, it's singing and more. And I'll come to it in a moment. But Deuteronomy is quoted by Jesus, Deuteronomy 6 in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, speaking to them about the greatest commandment, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, it's first identifying who God is. Love the Lord your God. In other words, this God who you identify, then you love him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so by identifying this as the foremost commandment, foremost of all God's commandments, he is emphatically here affirming worship as the universal first priority of mankind. Are you with me? Before we do anything else or give God anything else or live our lives, we need to put God first and make him central. And then the Ten Commandments, the very first of the Ten Commandments uh, calls for worship and regulates worship. Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And if you look at the Old Testament, we're talking here about the priority of mankind. The Old Testament, everything centered around worship. As soon as they came out, the tabernacle was built, and the tabernacle, the whole focus of the tabernacle is about worship. It's got no seats in it, so it's not about receiving, it's about giving. And we can lose that focus so easily. The altar of incense. Why was there incense? The incense went up as a smell, and it symbolized worship to the Lord. It was supposed to be a continual preoccupation of God's people. And the altars were for worship. The burnt offerings were for worship. Everything signified that God was to take his central place. You'll remember that we've often spoken and, and preached on Elijah building the altar on Mount Carmel. And we know that he built an altar, and then fire fell. But you know, people don't often realize why fire fell. Fire fell because the people had not been worshiping God. When they made up their minds, we're going to put God first under Elijah's direction. Elijah built an altar, put a bull on it, and offered up worship. And in response to that, God responds with fire. And that's why fire fell, is because worship had been restored to its rightful place as the priority of the people of God. John MacArthur in his book on worship says this, nothing is more important than worship. 
It is the theme of Scripture, the theme of eternity, and the theme of redemptive history. To worship the true and living and glorious God is the purpose of all creation. So why do we treat it as only what is sung or played in church on Sunday morning? It needs to be the theme of our lives. Number two, it is more than music. Worship is more than music. And in the minds of many, many contemporary churches, the word worship signifies the singing portion of a service as opposed to the offering portion or the church news portion or the preaching portion. It's the worship. And it's a common colloquial term we use, but it's more than that. Romans 12 tells us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, not just your tongue. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So true and proper worship is not just singing. It's giving your all, your heart, your substance, um, giving of yourself. Work is worship. Volunteering is worship. And you might not be a person who likes the, 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 the loud songs, the praise songs. You, you find that it doesn't suit your personality. But if you're volunteering, you're also worshiping. It has many components, dimensions. We had some of the foundation volunteers. 19 of them went out and gave some um, pa sanitary packs out. And people have been making sandwiches. And people have been volunteering outside in the car park. They've never been in the worship team, but they were worshiping because it's the giving. It's more than music. And when you go to work, your work is worship. Billy Graham once said, the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. And so we worship God by giving Him our best, giving Him in service, giving Him our family too. That what the people did this morning, families did dedicating their children is a form of worship. We put you first, God. We want our children to, be, to serve you and know you. And we bring them to you today in front of everyone to say we declare that we want our children to honor God. Abraham did that on the altar with Isaac. People say, well, what kind of God asks for your child? God was wanting to see who would be first. He didn't kill Isaac, by the way. It was a test. And I love what it says when Abraham is asked in Genesis 22. Abraham says to the servants as they go up the mountain, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. See, he understood that when you give of yourself and your best, as Chris said earlier, we've got to give the first and the best, that is worship. When you give your tithes and offerings, it's more than music. It's a worship time. Don't sit there going, why are they doing this? Why do churches have to do this? It is part of worship. Worship is much more than music. And in Malachi, the, the, the Bible says that the people brought blind and lame and, and, and dysfunctional animals to the Lord. And he says, you don't honor me. I'm meant to be worshiped. And you worship with your finances. Number three, it includes singing, music, and instruments. It includes singing, music, and instruments. So, so don't be super spiritual and say, we don't have to sing so loud. Let me read one, one psalm. Psalm 150, because there are 150 psalms, by the way. I'll start with the last one. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His supporting greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Electric harp and lyre is okay too. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. And let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then he says, praise the Lord. 
So I reckon all these instruments and all this music, some people call them Japanese worship leaders. I've heard some super spiritual bars, we don't need Japanese worship leaders in here. No, no, no. We will praise him with everything that make him. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And the reason I teach on this this morning, it's so simple, is so that we get to, get to unlearn negative stuff. And if you're watching the internet, there are two groups of people. There are those who believe the gifts of the Spirit and a contemporary church of the devil. And then there are those who are heretic hunters. They're looking for every mistake. We are neither of those. We serve God in the middle and we seek to honor Him with sound teaching and sound worship. And we seek to be relevant. Number four, it must be intelligent, truthful, and genuine. Notice intelligent. Worship can be so emotional, it's not intelligent. You know, if someone's doing this the whole time in the meeting, and it's like, are you thinking about what you're doing? Where have you gone to the point of hysteria? Don't call it the anointing when it's hysteria. It needs to be intelligent, truthful. And I'm not against passion. We, for heaven's sake, we need to clap and shout and praise God because we love Him with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. But don't let it be unintelligent. Now, let me, let me read to you here. John chapter 4, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. He says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, implying that they're false worshipers, will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Firstly, to worship in spirit means it must be genuine. It's not saying the Holy Spirit needs to be in, in with a genuine spirit, not like a ritual. We love you, Lord, and we lift our voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Now, that's, that's not in spirit. Spirit means there's, some, there's a genuineness. No woman wants to be, I love you, Wilma, and I'll always be committed to you. All my life, I will give you love and admiration. It's like you want some. It's got to be genuine. If you tell your wife that with that spirit, she'll say to you, just stop talking nonsense. Go, go and watch the soccer. Because <laughs> she knows you're saying the right words, but it's not in spirit. And then in truth, what is to worship? What is to worship in truth? To worship in truth is to worship the way God says, not the way you think. Today, worship has become like something you choose as you get older. I think I'll go to yoga, then I'll go there, then they can put some hot stones on my back, then I'll play some of that music from the Buddha bar, and then I, I'm worshiping. No, 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 you worship in truth as he prescribes. Now, that might make you feel good and create elation. You actually need to worship God the way he says. And Jesus says, those are the worshipers that the fathers seeks. It's interesting that he speaks of truth when it comes to worship, not music. Because music's not the key, it's truth. And it's not there, you see, music's not there to create an emotional experience in the worshiper, but a spiritual encounter. And it's not what you get out of it, it's what you're giving God. Are you with me? And if the words in a song lack depth, we're only just being hyped up. You know, you just watch young people. 
they sing certain words, and I won't, don't want to refer to any song lest we color any song, but there's some songs that it's like, what are you singing? <laughs> there's that one song that speaks about colors flying. Colors are flying? What's that got to do with the Lord in worship? Now, it might be a great way to start a meeting, and it's okay to have a bit of celebration, but it's actually not praise or worship. And we're very conscious of what we sing. But at the same time, we don't want to be boring. We only sing hymns with depth. <laughs> when the great celestial beams are coming and the, the, the light of the planets are shining. It's like, no, we, don't, we want to be relevant. But it's in spirit and in truth. Are you with me? And it doesn't mean it lacks passion, but it's intelligent. David danced with all his might in his underwear. But he didn't do it without a mind on God. Am I making sense? Can't spend a lot of time on this. Number five, it cannot be of our own making. And I said it just now, worship is what we can give God, not we, what we can get out of it. Remember they made a golden calf? God didn't say, oh, you're so sweet. I know you're misguided. As long as you are sincere. No, they all died that day. The ground split open and the calf was ground up and they had to drink the water. And we can't have a self-styled worship. It's got to please God. And here's the thing that we don't realize about worship. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. Psalm 115 verse 8 um, and Psalm 135, they both say the same thing. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Greg Beale wrote a book, and I've quoted it many times, we become what we worship. He says, what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or for restoration. If you worship something, you become like that, either for your ruin or your restoration. Let me give you an example. When children are small, they follow their parents. Isn't that true? Three, four, five. Everything their parents do, I want to be like daddy. I want to be like mommy. And guess what? They start to re resemble mommy and daddy. But when they become teenagers, they start to find all these singers, rock stars, rap stars, sports people, and they start to worship them with rings in the nose and bolts everywhere, and they become like them. You want to tattoo yourself and put metal things in you? Well, good for you when you get to the airport. <laughs> We've gone back to like primitive times, haven't we? Because in, 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 we so want to identify. It's a form of worship. You've got to, I, I'm not saying that to be stuck in the mud. I'm saying it for you to think. Because our world just carries us along. And uh, worship cannot be of our own making. Jack Hayford, the pastor who, very well known from Farnese in California, he's passed away, written a number of books. He says, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. See, Romans tells us why we're having problems in our world, and it describes this perfectly. It's because we've started worshiping the creation. We are so focused on global warming that we're obsessed with it. We are obsessed with it. We will watch out for a stupid fish or some little thing where we have to give money to it, and we have to become obsessed with it, but we will kill human beings in the womb. What's more important, fish in the sea or human beings in the womb? But it's our obsession, and it's not a, this is not something that just comes from nowhere. The Bible tells us how this happens. All the dysfunction in the world today with, with all the things that people are focusing on all come from one thing. They stop worshiping God. Let me read it quickly. Romans 1, verse 25. Are you still with me? 
They exchanged the truth about God. You see, you don't worship in spirit and in truth. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Paul always says amen, then he carries on. Because of this, what's the result of what they worship? You become what you worship. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they did what, they, what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. You want to know why the world's having problems today? It's because we've taken our eyes off who we're supposed to worship, and we've made everything else a priority. And you cannot fix it by political decree or by wokeness in church. You've got to fix it by getting back to worshiping the true and only God. Robert Ingersoll was an agnostic, but he put it so well. He said this about this text. He said, with their backs to the sunrise, they worship the night. You can't cook this stuff up yourself and decide what you're going to worship. I read a fascinating story about a lady in 1977, Maria Rubio. She was busy filling a tortilla, and uh, sorry, a burrito. And uh, when she noticed skillet marks on one of the tortillas, she looked at it closely and she said to herself, hang on a minute, that's the face of Jesus. So she took the tortilla next door and she told the neighbors, the face of Jesus. They said, yes, amen, amen. And then they all went to ha have the tortilla blessed by the priest. And this tortilla, she says, has changed her life. Even her husband, he says, no, she's been a different woman. She's been more submissive, peaceful and happy. And he blessed the tortilla. And they took the tortilla home and he, her husband built a frame for it. And they put it on cotton wool in some clouds to make it look holy. And then he built a little shed in the backyard. And they put the tortilla there. And this was a blessed tortilla that the people began to worship. Within a few months, 8,000 people came to the shrine of Jesus of the tortilla. <laughs> you laugh. And all of them agreed that the burn marks in the tortilla were definitely the face of Jesus. Except for one journalist who said it looked like Leon Spinks. He was the boxing champion of the world at the time and he had teeth missing, but they didn't like that. Anyway, within two years, 35,000 people had visited. And for 28 years, pilgrims kept coming to see the holy tortilla. You laugh, this is happening around the world. Well, the sad thing was a couple of years later, her granddaughter took it to show and tell at school and someone knocked it off the table. And the tortilla shattered into pieces. Well, they took the pieces back and they tried to reassemble them and put them in the shed. But no one has visited since. It's amazing what people will worship. You cannot worship what's of your own making. You have to worship God. And it becomes superstition. Let me use a good phrase. Don't try and cook up a religion of your own making. Number six. Are you all still with me? Quickly. It's empowered by preaching. What's worship like? It's empowered by preaching. Well, what am I saying? You know, a lot of people over the years have come to me and they've said, Pastor Andre, it would be better some weeks if you didn't preach. I mean, people can be blunt, eh? And this is what they say. If we could just worship, you know, God would be pleased with that. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Because preaching reveals who God is and how he should be worshipped. And in an ongoing way, every week, you know what you're supposed to do because of the preaching. 
sounds very spiritual, but it actually is unspiritual. John Stott wrote a book called In Between Two Worlds, and he said this, word and worship belong indissolubly to each other. All worship is an intelligent and loving response to the revelation of God because it is the adoration of His name. Therefore, acceptable worship is impossible without preaching. For preaching is making known the name of the Lord, and worship is praising the name of the Lord made known. Far from being an alien intrusion into worship, the reading and preaching of the word are actually indispensable to it. The two cannot be divorced. See, when you preach, you reveal who God is, what He's done, His character, His nature, and His goodness, and then we worship in response to that. Let me give you number seven. It's a response to the goodness of God. A lack of gratitude will produce a lack of worship, especially when we come into services and we sing. You have to remind yourself. That's why we used to sing that song years ago, forgive me young people, we used to sing a song called, When I Remember What the Lord Has Done. Hmm? When I remember what the Lord has done. Ladies, I'll never go back, I'll never go back. When I remember, silly song, but you know, it's telling people, don't forget. Don't forget how he gave you turnover when business was bad, when he gave you sales, when he gave you a job, when he gave you healing. We had all the praise rewards. Don't forget, because when you forget, you see, worship is, thank you, Lord. And we need to be grateful. Isn't that true? Matthew chapter 14, when the disciples saw Jesus calm the storm, the Bible says, and then they worshiped him. It's a response to the goodness of God. Isn't that true? When Abraham's servant went out in Genesis to find a wife uh, for Isaac and he finally found the wife, the Bible says he bowed down and worshiped. Why? In response to the goodness of God. Psalm 13 and verse 6 says, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I don't know about you, but I think God's good to me every week. And so every week I need to come. And not just your relevant message, I need to give him worship. Amen. Amen. It's a response to the goodness of God. And number eight, it's a decision, not a feeling. It's a decision of a feeling. Don't come into the meeting and when the first song starts, be like, it's not my favorite. <laughs> God sitting in heaven saying, thank you for worshiping me. Yeah. It's a vehicle. Right. You see, this is what the psalmist says here in Psalm 34. He says, I will always give I will always, sorry, thank the Lord. I will never stop praising him. Notice, I will, I will, I will praise him for what he has done. May all who are oppressed listen and be glad. Proclaim with me the Lord's greatness. Let us praise him together. You see, we need to make a decision. It is not a feeling, and we need to honor God and be grateful to him. I need to go quickly here, so let me give you five things that worship does, five powerful results. Have you been helped by this today? It's food for thought. It's important in the growth and life of our church that we understand these things and not take them for granted. Here's some powerful results of praise and worship. Number one, praise is a weapon of deliverance. You want to get set free, come into church and begin to praise and worship God with all your might. You know what'll happen? All your burdens and worries and stuff just lift off you because your focus is on the Lord and praise and worship is a powerful weapon of deliverance in spiritual warfare. Remember in the Old Testament when Jehoshaphat was facing an enemy, he put the praises in front and as they sang, uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his mercy endures forever, God caused the enemy to be defeated. Praise did that. 
Acts chapter 16. You all know these passages. Paul and Silas are beaten. They're put in stocks in prison, and they're bound. But at midnight, they begin to praise and worship the Lord. And what happens? Their, their bonds are freed, and all the prisoners' bonds are freed. You want people to get free in a meeting? Just begin to praise and worship. The people around you get set free. Decide not to drink. Decide not to smoke. Decide to give up pornography. Decide to give up binding habits, anger, resentment. Oh, I need to let go of that. I need to, oh, no, I can't carry on like that. That's what praise and worship does. It's, it's a weapon of deliverance. Number two, it realigns our spirits with God. That's why we need to come to church weekly. You need to hear the word and be washed with it, but you also need to realign your spirit. And collectively, corporately, as we, as we serve in volunteering, as we, as we worship together in singing and praise, it realigns our spirits with God because we get out of alignment. Isn't that true? And you find it when you start singing by about the third song, the second song, you're like, wow. You can sense his presence. You can sense your perspective changing. I don't have time to read it, but if you're making notes this morning, write it down. 2 Kings chapter 3, uh, the king and, and, and his, his men wanted to know the will of God. And so they called on Elijah, and they said to him, sorry, Elisha, they said to him, we want you to uh, bring the word of the Lord to us. You know what he said? Bring me a minstrel. And as the minstrel began to play, the word of the Lord came. See, music... And praise produced some kind of an alignment in the spirit. He could have just said, yeah, I'm a man of God. Thus says the Lord. Do, do, do. But he needed something to, because he was obviously out of it. So he needed his spirit realigned. And then the word of the Lord flowed. You know why, why we often sing before I preach? Sometimes we don't because of the time. It's because it aligns our spirits and it makes you receptive to the word of God. Very important thing. We don't do anything without thinking it through. And it has a purpose and so remember that. It triggers something in the spirit. We need to value it because it aligns our spirits. Number three, it puts Jesus in his rightful place. We know Jesus is Lord, but we declare him Lord when we worship. Isn't that true? And that's why no other name has become such one of, one of the favorite songs of worship because it declares who he is and it enthrones him. And every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Worship puts him as the only Savior in the rightful place. And you remember when Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples were in, in unbelief. Do you remember that? They were all doubting. But the Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 28 that when they saw him resurrected, they fell down and worshiped him. Worship is a revelation of who he is and then a response to making him Lord and putting him in his rightful place. Number four, it relieves depression, anxiety, and stress. Gosh, I find my strength renewed when we worship. And we are refreshed in his presence. It's the cure for many ills that plague us weekly. And uh, if you're finding it heavy going, it's been a tough year, then worship can relieve that stress and that anxiety. Studies have shown that it can even prolong our lives, lower feelings of depression, and can give greater meaning to life. Why? Because you understand purpose. Life is not just about me. It's about him. Number five. Is this helping you? It results in us being filled with the Holy Spirit. People wonder about the Holy Spirit. When we're, can we have a Holy Spirit meeting? Well, just come and begin to sing and worship from the beginning. Because the Holy Spirit is response to worship. And when we begin to sing praises and declare, our spirits are aligned, but then we begin to be filled with the presence of God. 
let me remind you of very basic scriptures. And can I, can I just, before I read this, this is very different to hype. A lot of churches have got hype. They sing a song for 10 minutes over and over and over until you are mesmerized and hysterical. Just what an anointing was in that place. No, no, it wasn't an anointing. It was just singing over and over and over and over until you can't think straight anymore. And the ladies on their high heels are going, let me sit down. <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing this for 40 years. Sorry, forgive me if I'm cynical, but I, 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 I don't call the anointing what's not the anointing. You've got to call, call it what it is. Now, do we want emotion and passion? We want the anointing? Yes, but it doesn't come like that. And don't call the Holy Spirit something that can happen at a rock concert. Because even in churches today, people are down front and they stage diving, their bodies going along. Man, the praise and worship was good. No, it wasn't praise and worship. You could do that at a hot chili peppers concert. No, no, praise and worship is there's something different. Jesus is Lord and the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't just give. <laughs> Some people think, I want the Holy Spirit. Why? <laughs> no, the Holy Spirit brings change, reveals the mind of God, brings strength perspective. It's much more than, and listen, if you get a little bit of, uh, it's okay, but that's not the goal. This is what I say to people when we're looking for change in people's lives, whether it's the Holy Spirit or not, is there fruit? Not is there a vibe, is there a shaking, are there manifestations, is there fruit? Because he doesn't come and play in church. He doesn't sit in heaven and say, I'm released. Hey, ha, ha. <laughs> no. Is the emotion? Of course. But it's not that shallow. Are you with me? Ephesians chapter 5. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. How? Well, he tells us in verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart, Spirit and Truth, to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Powerful results of putting God first, declaring who He is, can change our lives and fill us with the Spirit. I don't know about you, but in these days, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you get a bit of shaking and shivering, that's okay. But we want much more than that. And we want to put God first. Why? Because we become like Him who we worship, and we want truth, we want to do it God's way, and above all things, we want to make Jesus Lord, and I'll tell you what, when you put God first, He usually puts you first, you put God's house first, He puts you first, when you put Him on the throne, He blesses you, frees you from anxiety and stress and pressure, and He blesses your life, let's be a worshiping church, you'll notice in our mission statement, worship, worship, do you notice we don't do it for a half an hour, 45 minutes? Because you don't need that long to declare who God is. Some people sing for 45 minutes because they, they need that. No, no, no. We don't need to be frenzied. We can enter his presence. One or two or three or four songs. And tonight we will sing carols because it's a great occasion to reach people. And it's a traditional thing and it's nice and people get saved. But let's not lose sight of what true worship is. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.